Welcome to A Conversation with History. I'm Harry Chrysler of the Institute of International Studies. Our guest today is Oliver Waugh, who is a senior researcher at the National Center for Scientific Research in Paris. He's the author of numerous books, including The Failure of Political Islam and The New Central Asia, The Creation of Nations. Uh, Oliver, welcome to Berkeley. Thank you. Where were you born and raised? I was born in La Rochelle in France uh, on the Atlantic coast in uh, 49. 49. And looking back, how do you think your parents shaped your character? Well, uh, fortunately enough, my parents uh, don't speak English, don't understand English, so they will not be able to listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as, in fact, I was brought up in a Protestant family, which is a um, minority in France. So uh, uh, there was a heavy presence of my grandfather, who was a Protestant uh, cleric at La Rochelle precisely. And so I would say uh, I was brought up in the traditional uh, values of uh, French Protestantism, is a, a sort of interest for intellectual things and a certain, I would say, moral rigor, mm -hmm. so to speak. And, and looking back, do you remember any books that you read as a young person that really stand out, that, that, that influenced you even, uh, even before you went to college? Well, uh, we used to read the Bible, uh, not at home, but uh, on the Sunday school. Uh, and uh, I used to, yes, to read a lot of books, and some uh, of these books were not intended for uh, young children at that time, uh, but uh, many travel stories, uh, book of uh, Joseph Kessel on Afghanistan, for example, uh, so I've been uh, very influenced by uh, travel stories. So, so you had broad horizons even when you were young? Yes, uh, yes, I was... The world was your, your, your perspective. Yes, I was fascinated by uh, the simple idea of traveling. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, where did you do your college education? My college education was in La Rochelle, so, uh, and when uh, I finished the college, uh, I went to Paris to enlist for a preparatory school to enter the, what you call, Ecole Normale Supérieure, which is one of the highest high schools uh, in France uh, for, uh, in humanities. And what did you major in once you were at the university, and, and uh, where did you do your graduate work? Uh, I worked, um, my field was philosophy. And uh, my first book, by the way, was uh, my dissertation uh, for uh, uh, MBA. It was on uh, Leibniz and China. Mm -hmm. So even at the time, I was dreaming of uh, the, the horizons, uh, both intellectuals and uh, geographic. And so were you a student in, in the 60s? And, and how were you affected by the, the revolution in, in, in Paris then? The high school where uh, I enlisted in Paris was Lycée Louis Le Grand, and it was just at the center, at the core of the Quartier Latin. So uh, there, w there was at that time a huge politicization. And uh, I was uh, in the boarding school, uh, living in a dormitory. So I would say the whole dormitory turned 
ultra leftist and to be very precise we all became Maoist uh, mm -hmm. for two years you know <laughs> <laughs> in Paris so it, for some months it's, it was a story of uh, demonstrations against the police demonstrations against the Americans of course uh, we even once uh, broke the windows of the Hilton Hotel in Paris uh -huh. mm. and uh, what led you to your focus on Islam and uh, the countries of Islam? During uh, 69, when I was both preparing uh, the entry to the Ecole Normale Supérieure and uh, I was also militant of this small uh, ultra-leftist group, uh, I planned to travel to Afghanistan for different reasons. It was a, a dream, you know, a dream of uh, childhood. So every evening, I spent uh, one hour learning Persian from an English book, Teach Yourself Persian. I was learning myself, so I didn't have uh, any idea about the pronunciation. Uh, I was not sure that what I was learning was real Persian language. And uh, suddenly, uh, just like that, I decided to go to Afghanistan. I missed, you know, uh, the, uh, the exam to enter the, the high school. And I went outside Paris, it's hiking, mm. <laughs> and it took me six weeks to go uh, to Afghanistan, to uh, attain uh, Afghanistan. I spent three months in Afghanistan, and this was my first encounter with Islam and Middle East. And, and how old were you then, and what year was this? It was in 69, and it was uh, 19 years old. Mm. Mm -hmm. And at that point, the, the country was more stable than it became. Not only the country, but the whole area. Yeah. In '69, you could uh, travel, you know, from uh, Paris to New Delhi with just two visas, and uh, uh, no war, no civil war, no revolution, nothing. Mm -hmm. So it was the uh, the hippie trail. Uh, the first uh, step was Istanbul, the second Tehran, then uh, Kabul, and for many people, Kathmandu. Uh, so I was totally. Uh, emerge in this uh, hippie culture of the 60s, which for me was a way to get rid of the uh, hyper-politicization of uh, the, uh, the life in Paris at that time. Mm -hmm. And what, uh, having gone there, what led you to then want to study this, this place that you had been? Why that choice as opposed to others? In Afghanistan, I traveled uh, at that time uh, on foot a lot from villages to villages, and I was you know, in close touch with the, uh, the peasantry in Afghanistan. And I was struck by two things. First, you know, we, we were all human beings. We could uh, chat, discuss about the uh, problem of lives and things like that. And secondly, it was a totally different society. Yeah. And at the time, of course, I was young. It was a bit romantic, so I was thinking about uh, living in the Middle Age and, and so on. So this contradiction of, uh, I would say, the, the closeness of the human contacts uh, and the difference of culture uh, pushed me, yes, to say, okay, I have to study uh, uh, Islam, I have to study Persian more, and I have to go back in order not only to understand the society, but in a sense to, to live in it, you know. Uh, I didn't do that at that time uh, for academic studies. I had no ideas of writing books or of uh, turning an anthropologist or things like that. I just wanted to travel to Afghanistan every year. And then, usually, uh, at fall, I would go back to, to my place and uh, resume my uh, job. At that time, I was a school teacher and was quite happy to be a school teacher. Mm -hmm. One of your major books is called The, the Failure of Political Islam. And uh, that topic has become very important for the United States after the events of 9-11. Of and I'm hoping you can 
explicate for us that set of problems. So, so let me ask you first, what is the best way to understand the, the currents of thinking uh, of Islam in today's world? Uh, you know, Islam is a religion, and as a religion, it could uh, uh, have uh, many uh, political forms. It could fit with many different cultures and societies. So uh, Islam as such, I would say, is not an issue. Many people think that one should know what does Islam really say. Uh, but that's not my, uh, my aim. Uh, what interests me is what the Muslims say that Islam says. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it's Islam in practice, Islam in speeches, in discourses, but discourses and practices from people, from actors, uh, either political actors or intellectual actors, or just sometimes, you know, the guy who demonstrates in the street, or the peasants who uh, uh, rise up in the name of Islam and things like that. Uh, and uh, when I went to Afghanistan uh, for, I would say, uh, to study, really, to, to, uh, to do a book, it was during, just after the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. And I suddenly realized that uh, uh, the Mujahideen were uh, uh, sometimes headed by young intellectuals who could have uh, become uh, uh, Marxist in other circumstances. These guys were students. Uh, they were uh, educated in a modern system of uh, education. Uh, sometimes they speak foreign languages. They were engineers, for example, like Masoud or like Matyar. And uh, these guys uh, uh, were fighting in the name of Islam, but they, they used, I would say, an almost Marxist terminology. Revolution, state, uh, 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 ideology, uh, things like that. So uh, this mixing between uh, uh, modern Marxism, if I can say, and uh, religion, traditional religion, uh, fascinated me. And I was working on to what extent did they achieve their goal, which was at that time to create a true Islamic state. Mm -hmm. And these guys were not in the line, in the same line than the traditional ulama or uh, religious Islamic scholars. The ulamas usually don't care too much about who is in charge. You know. They just want to have uh, uh, the, the ruler, whoever he, he is, implementing the Sharia or Islamic law. But my new friends at that time, these uh, Islamists, as I call them, uh, leaders, they wanted to create an Islamic state using an Islamic ideology in order to Islamize the society, to establish an Islamic economy, and so on and so. So in a sense, it's a modern project. It's a, a modern view of what a society and a state is. And uh, I, follow, I followed them. Uh, then I went to Iran also to see, and all my, uh, uh, I would say, intention was my aim was to which extent is their project viable? To which extent can they uh, create an Islamic state? And uh, when I visited Iran about the same time, you know, during the 80s, I suddenly realized how uh, such an Islamic state simply doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Because sooner or later, politics prevail on religion. Now, now let's, let's break this apart uh, as we're talking. And uh, what is it in Islam itself that creates contradictions that, that make that result impossible? It, or, or is, is, is part of this the problem with the religion itself and its, its major concepts? 
No, I think that it's not, the problem is not Islam as such. Uh, the problem is uh, first what I call uh, uh, imaginary Islam. Uh, uh, the fact that, for example, let's take a very simple sentence. In Islam, there is no separation between religion and politics. You will, uh, uh, you will listen, everybody is saying that. The problem is not, is this sentence really in the Quran? The problem is, what do, uh, does the people understand with this sentence? Mm -hmm. And what do political actors do with such a sentence? Mm -hmm. How can it be translated into a political program? Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, the answers are uh, uh, multiple. And uh, uh, this project of creating an Islamic state using you know, modern concept of revolution, institutions, uh, constitutions, ideology, and so, doesn't work, not because of Islam, but simply uh, because there is no such a thing as a religious state. You can mm -hmm. have states using religion. You can have a state using uh, uh, religious legitimacy. But you cannot have a state solely based on religion, whatever the religion. Okay, and why is that? Why can that not be? Because uh, in, for any religion, of course, the core uh, is faith and virtue, if I can say that. So religions uh, deal with a moral concept mm, mm. of the good, of the bad, and so on. So. But you cannot rule a society just on moral concept. Uh, except if we are all saints. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in fact, we are not all saints. So here there is a good comparison uh, between this sort of uh, uh, dreams and the Puritan uh, 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 utopia, you know. Uh, the American Puritan, the American Puritan, Puritan utopia. Yeah. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, President Khatami of Iran uh, always speaks very favorably uh, about <laughs> the uh, American Puritans. Because, in fact, yes, it's the same uh, imaginary, that you can have a society based on uh, the virtue of the individuals. But sooner or later, of course, corruption is back. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say the uh, common wisdom is that you need institutions uh, to uh, uh, make uh, a society work. You cannot rely on the virtue of the judge, on the virtue of the, your leader. You have mm -hmm. to build institutions. So it means that sooner or later, uh, the uh, political rationality prevails on religious uh, uh, morality and uh, religious uh, uh, thinking. So, so in a way, uh, modernity and the modernization uh, brings a political formula that is inconsistent with uh, a religious basis. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I would say that you have to reformulate uh, 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 the religious uh, uh, views of societies in different terms. You cannot just say like that there is no difference between politics and religion mm -hmm. because you have an autonomous field of politics, mm -hmm. which sooner or later leads to have an autonomous field of religion. Mm -hmm. And for Islam now, this is a challenge. Mm -hmm. How to conceive an autonomous field, an autonomous religious field? Mm -hmm. How to uh, uh, accept and to theorize, you know, to make a theory about uh, uh, the delinking uh, between uh, religion and politics. And why can't that be done? Because, as we say, as I said, in uh, the traditional uh, 
uh, imaginary of Islam, there is no difference. In fact, there has always been a difference, a practical difference. Mm-hmm. The rulers in the whole uh, history of the uh, Muslim world ha- ha- have never been clerics. The rulers were always, you know, secular, uh, not secular, but lay people who took the power by the square. You mm-hmm. know. But, but okay, once they took the power, they used to say, uh, we are a Muslim society and Sharia is uh, a law of the state. Uh, but uh, 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 this uh, allow, allowed the ulama to say there is no difference. No. But now, then they, uh, when the Islamists want to build uh, a, a state on Islam, mm-hmm. they have to rethink the traditional relations between uh, Islam and politics. And they cannot use the paradigms of the sultans and emirs of the past. Because uh, 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 this uh, traditional way of uh, 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 statehood doesn't fit with the ideological views of what should be an Islamic state. In an Islamic state, the leader, the head of the state, should be a real uh, a Muslim, the best Muslim of all. Mm-hmm. And here we have a problem. How can we appoint somebody on uh, just uh, uh, Islamic uh, uh, criteria? You know? mm-hmm. Now, there, there is a misperception abroad in, in our country, at least, uh, in, in popular consciousness, that the, the, uh, the, the key uh, 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 to understanding the people who are joining these uh, movements of protest are traditionalists, basically trying to impose uh, a conservative religion uh, uh, on uh, modernizing societies. That is a misperception. Explain that to us. Who are these people who are recruited into these uh, uh, into these movements? If you take, for example, the Islamist movement of the 70s and 80s, the Muslim Brothers in Egypt, the refined Turkey, the Islamic Revolution in Iran, well, the actors are young, urban, educated people, and people educated in the modern Western uh, system of education. They were engineers. Everybody is thinking about Ayatollah Khomeini. But Ayatollah Khomeini was the only Ayatollah uh, uh, in the uh, ruling cycles of uh, Iran, if I can say, or almost the only ones. All his ministers, you know, most of these ministers were young, Western, educated intellectuals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's the same uh, in Afghanistan. It has been the same in uh, uh, former Soviet Central Asia, the same in Turkey, the same in Egypt, the same in Morocco. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, the traditionalists, they didn't challenge the existing regimes. In fact, usually, and it's still uh, true, most of the traditionalists are uh, uh, supportive of any uh, kind of existing regimes because they are traditionalists. They are conservative, they are not revolutionary, and what they want, you know, is to have, yes, Sharia, is uh, to have uh, uh, Islam being uh, enhanced and supported by the government. But they don't contest the form of the regimes. They don't contest the rulers. Mm-hmm. So, so but, but, but there is a protest uh, by especially the radicals mm. now of modernization of the 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 uh, the consumption products of a globalized age. Why is that, and and what is it they're trying to achieve? I think most of the Islamists were and are the heirs of uh, the modern movements of liberation. 
mm -hmm. that I would say they were anti-imperialist. Mm -hmm. It's clear, for example, in Iran, all the discussions uh, uh, revolving uh, uh, around economy are based not on Islamic consideration, but on the traditional, uh, <laughs> the traditional, but on the modern I uh, um, idea of a building a non-dependent national economy. Mm -hmm. So they used uh, the economists of the 60s. Mm -hmm. They don't go back to the Quran uh, uh, to discuss about the price of oil or should we nationalize or privatize uh, the oil industry. No, they think in terms of the debate of the 60s and 70s about statization, privatization, uh, cutting the link with imperialism, uh, uh, being autonomous, uh, uh, in comparison with uh, uh, so the world uh, leading economic power, that is uh, the states. So, in this sense, the Islamists are, uh, mod uh, are modern. You know, mm -hmm. they are modern. And but 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 there is a, there is a. Uh, you say at one point in your book that the the Islamists are attempting to restore dignity to the individual, to uh, restore a sense of dignity in the face of uh, humiliation. Explain that phenomena. Um, the problem is, I would say, uh, for everybody, and not, not, not only with the Islamists. Uh, in a, a time of globalization, uh, uh, people have the uh, feeling that they are losing their identities. Uh, that uh, they are just, you know, uh, uh, becoming westernized with no possibility uh, to influence uh, uh, the big decisions on economy. So this sense of alienation uh, um, is widely, uh, uh, widely uh, felt, uh, felt, of course. Uh, and uh, the Islamists and the other kind of uh, uh, fundamentalism, not only the Islamists, but the other guys, they have an answer. Uh, the answer of the Islamists is, yes, we can combine uh, modernization and Islamic identity. We can Islamize modernization. And uh, we can uh, be proud Islamic engineers. We can be uh, proud and self-assertive uh, Islamic rulers of an independent uh, country. In this sense, yes, they, they touch a very sensitive core. Mm -hmm. now, now, is there a particular problem posed by Islam in, if you compare it with other uh, uh, protest groups uh, across the world? Does Islam pose particular uh, problems for those trying to assert their identity and embracing Islam as they do it? Yeah, it's, um, it's a big uh, issue. Uh, in a sense, uh, uh, the same uh, use of a traditional religion to forge uh, a new identity is not related only to Islam. We can see, for example, in India uh, mm -hmm. with the BGP movement, we have the, the same use and the reconstruction of Hinduism. Okay, mm -hmm. but yes, the movement is strikingly is uh, specifically striking in Muslim states. Why? Uh, first, I think that Islam provides a common denominator through different categories of population. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, a young, uh, modern, Western-educated intellectuals can speak with uh, an illiterate peasant uh, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of Islam. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
secondly, uh, Islam provides uh, um, um, a universal uh, ideology, which is not the case of Hinduism, nor Shintoism, nor what you want. It's a universal religion with a tradition of um, fighting, uh, not necessarily, you know, of uh, 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 blood and things like that. But uh, uh, there is a history, a brilliant history of Islam, which can now, uh, 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 which goes along now with the nostalgia of the idea that we, we, are lo we lost our identity, we lost our territories, uh, so now we can restore that by using the paradigm of the time of the prophet, where Islam was an expanding and a world religion. So I think that this is a dimension of internationalism and universalism, which is uh, specifically at work uh, in the new Islamic militancy. Now, but, but there is a point at which it doesn't work. Is that because of the focus in Islam on the conversion of the individual, of the individual achieving his own salvation, in a sense? It's common to Christianity, too. Um, I think it's the idea of Ummah, of the, uh, uh, of the Muslim community, uh, is a big tool for political mobilization. Mm -hmm. And uh, this uh, idea, this concept of Ummah has, has also uh, the advantage of providing an identity beyond ethnic, tribal, and national identities. In uh, Middle East, which has been sometimes divided by colonial powers into rather artificial states, you know, uh, uh, pan-Islamism is also a way to, uh, uh, to revert back prior to the colonial period. So still, I think that most of the, the concepts and slogans and mottos uh, brought up by Islamism are not a comeback to traditional identities, but it's a response to uh, Western uh, colonization and encroachment. It has, uh, uh, it's, in a way, it's a reactive uh, uh, identity. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it's an identity that uh, has not really succeeded when it confronts uh, the power of existing states in the region. So, so in a way, uh, uh, we see over time that uh, these kinds of movements have not been successful in uh, uh, transforming the states that exist in the Muslim world. Is that correct? Yeah. The paradox of the uh, Islamism is that, in a way, this movement have been shaped by the states they wanted to conquer instead of shaping these states. You know. mm -hmm. uh, uh, at the beginning, the Islamists they just wanted to take the state and create an Islamic state. Mm -hmm. Taking the state doesn't mean necessarily violence, it could be through elections. But of course, uh, uh, the state they were confronted with was a concrete state, the mm -hmm. Egyptian state, the Lebanese state, the Iranian state, and so and so. So the Islamists, sooner or later, were uh, uh, you know, taken by the political game of their own countries, and <coughs> became more nationalist-minded than Islamic-minded. Very soon, and you would say just months after the success of the Iranian revolution, while uh, Iran, the Islamic revolution in Iran, turned more into a nationalistic, anti-imperialist revolution than in a purely Islamic revolution. Uh, uh, the Refa uh, party in Turkey uh, 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 is more uh, Turkish 
nationalist party with an Islamic domestic agenda than a revolutionary party. The same with the Fisi in Algeria, with uh, Mr. Turabi, Hassan Turabi in Sudan, and so and so. So the, uh, the paradox of the Islamist movement is that in the name of establishing a common uh, Islamic state for the whole uh, Muslim community, uh, they reverted to nationalism in most cases. Mm-hmm. And that, is a, for me, is a failure of political Islam. They have been unable to bypass both the state and both the nation. Mm-hmm. And so, so in a way, this, this, uh, 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 the outlet for religion is really regional, right? When, when, the, when, the, when, uh, the, when the religion or, or the Islamic movement confronts the state, it's, it's, it's captured by the state. It's captured by the state, even if it takes the state, which yeah. happens in Iran. Yeah. Now, now who, but, but in, 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 in this part of the world, who tends to run the states? I, I, uh, you're suggesting in your book that they're really solidarity groups, often traditional groups around a, a, a particular clan or an ethnic group. Yeah, the, the predicament of uh, most of the Middle Eastern states is that, in fact, beyond the appearance of a modern state, uh, well, uh, uh, what is working is uh, what they call the Asabiya, uh, networks of solidarity, uh, either if these uh, networks are based on uh, 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 tribal links, like in Saudi Arabia, or on a specific uh, religious minority, like in Syria, or uh, based on, you know, on uh, 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 military networks, uh, like in Algeria. So in any case, uh, 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 it's not a real state, you know, it just a way for a particular uh, networks, groups, uh, a group of solidarity uh, to take the states and to work for its own benefit. So in these circumstances, the Islamist did, does, do provide an alternative. And to a certain extent, they succeeded. You know. The FIS in Algeria succeeded to win the uh, parliamentary elections in 91 because they run against the oligarchy. Mm-hmm. They say, we do represent, they are right, it's another issue, we do represent the whole po- po- population. The same in Iran. <laughs> uh, the same for Zezboula uh, in Lebanon, who, uh, of course, which uh, uh, addressed the Shia population. But they said to the Shia, until now, you were represented by notables, uh, big landowners, rich families. But now, you, the people, you are in charge. So we have here, of course, a populist approach, certainly. But in a sense, the Islamist parties have been able to bring to the political space segments of population which were excluded from the political game. And this is, for me, the big and positive achievement of the Islamist movement in the Middle East during the 80s. And, but, but in a way, the, the state in the end is able to win out because the, the regimes that control the state can adro- uh, adopt the, the symbols, uh, the apparent uh, re-Islamization of the society uh, and steal the thunder from these movements. Is that correct? Absolutely. So it's particularly clear uh, in Iran, but in other uh, parts. Uh, the, the ruling regimes suddenly used, I would say, a conservative re-Islamization in order to undercut, to undercut uh, the momentum of the Islamist parties. Mm-hmm. And th- the Islamist parties didn't realize that they were not, I would say, the legitimate owner 
of uh, the representation of Islam in the political fields. Mm -hmm. They suddenly realized in the early 90s that uh, uh, Islam was uh, far more, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> um, uh, polymorph movement than they expected. Let's take an example, Turkey. Yeah. The Refa party uh, had a very clear-cut slogan in the 70s. He used to say, look, in Turkey, 90% of the population claim to be a, 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 a mosque-going believers. Oh. Mm. Uh, and we have only 16% of the vote of the population. So if the, uh, the Muslims in Turkey are coherent, they should vote for us, and we should achieve at least 80% of the votes. They never uh, 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 made more than 20. Why? Because there were other p religious networks. The, the, the Brotherhood, for example, the Nahmandia, the Nurju. These Brotherhood were not political parties, of course, but they had a huge political influence. Uh, uh, a part of the Nahmandi, for example, could call for uh, three million voters, and they used to bargain, you know, these mm -hmm. uh, uh, votes against some perks and things like that. So they had no intention to join mm -hmm. the Refa party in creating an Islamic state. Mm -hmm. So suddenly, the Islamists who wanted to coalesce you know, all the Muslim believers into one political framework realized that they do not have the monopoly of uh, uh, political Islam, that Islam is pervasive, mm -hmm. and that nobody can claim to have the monopoly of political Islam. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you suggest in a way that uh, the end result here is a focus on many of these Islamicist uh, groups on virtue, on a puritanical zeal uh, to achieve personal salvation, and that, that as they react to this global uh, culture of, of uh, Walkmans and videos and so on, that, that it's a failure uh, to overcome, and but in addition, it, it it destroys whatever alternative culture that there might be. Uh, that it creates a, a sterility between the family on the one hand and the state on the other. Explain that. There are two issues here. The first issue is virtue as a, 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 a political um, as political virtue. Uh, we know uh, since the French Revolution that. Once uh, virtue is in charge, it, it leads to terror, uh, for very simple uh, reasons. Nobody is virtuous enough, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, one is always trying to, to expel uh, uh, the devil, uh, uh, the evil in us, and this leads to terror. Mm. Um, it's why a, a good political system can work only on institutions and not on presupposed virtues of the leaders. So. Uh, any system based on the idea that our leaders is uh, the most virtuous uh, of everybody uh, is doomed to failure. The second problem is how do we deal with traditions, culture? Yeah. And I would say the anthropological society, the way the people are living, doing, networking, uh, marrying, and so on and so uh, The Islamists, in fact, never... Uh, endeavored to destroy their own societies. Mm. Uh, in Iran, for example, the problem was uh, open just the day after the revolution. What should we do with the traditional Persian culture? Mm. Ferdousi, for example. Uh, Ferdousi is not an Islamic uh, poet, not at all. And the music, and so on and so on. And after some hesitations, Khomeini said, okay, 
let's do. Uh, let's keep our cultural legacy, Persian cultural legacy. And so, and then it's done. It means that they do recognize uh, the existence of uh, pre-Islamic Persian culture. They do recognize that they are Iranians, Persians, and so and so. So they give up the idea of creating a purely Islamic state. But let's take the Taliban. And for me, the Taliban, the Afghan Taliban, are not Islamists. They are what I call neo-fundamentalists. The problem of the Taliban is not of creating an Islamic state. They want a true Islamic society. Mm-hmm. And they don't necessarily think that one should take the state to have an Islamic society. They think that the society will be Islamic the day that every Muslim will behave like a true Muslim. And for the Taliban and all this kind of neo-fundamentalist and Wahhabi, what is a true Muslim? It is somebody who refers exclusively to Islam. Somebody who has no other interest than Islam. It means that somebody who has no culture. No culture. Mm-hmm. Very explicitly, the Taliban wage a war on culture. They destroyed the Buddha's statues. Uh, they obliged every man to have the same kind of, uh, uh, of birth. Mm. Uh, and they, uh, uh, they, um, uh, uh, they forbid anything which, are, uh, which has a relation with culture. Uh, uh, movies, uh, uh, singing, music, dances, uh, uh, novels, poetry, all these things, you know, including uh, uh, to have singing birds at home and things like that. Because for them it was either negative or useless. For them, the Buddha, they have a very good argument to destroy the Buddha. They say, okay, these Buddhas are supposed to be religious status. We have no Buddhists in Afghanistan, so we don't, nobody needs them. Let's destroy them. (laughs) And here we are no more, uh, uh, I would say, uh, uh, with Islamism. We, we are no more with people who try to build a state and manage a real society. Mm-hmm. We are dealing with people who dream of recreating uh, the Muslim community, a universal Muslim community uh, uh, cut from all existing societies, including Muslim societies. Uh, so it's why this neo-fundamentalist, uh, this neo-fundamentalist has some appeal among many second-generation Muslims in the West. These second-generation Muslims, some of them, of course, not all of them, they feel alienated with the pristine culture of their grandfather. They don't care about how do one uh, lives in a Moroccan village and so. Uh, but they feel also alienated with the modern Western culture. And by re- not reverting, but by you know, joining a movement, a neo-fundamentalist movement, which used to tell them, don't uh, care about society, any kind of society, don't care about culture, don't care about politics, just fight to be a good Muslim and to recreate the true Muslim community, then, you know, they, they feel, I would say, at home, they say, okay, this is an identity for me. So, in a way, the failure of the Islamic political project leads to a fantasy based on Islam. Is that... Is it, that le- it leads to two things. It leads, first, for the Islamists themselves to a banalization of Islam. It leads, it leads to something I call the Muslim equivalent of a, a, a Christian democracy, uh, like in Turkey. For example, mm-hmm. for me, the uh, recent uh, Turkish uh, 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 
so-called Islamic Party, the AK Party, uh, which is the successor of the Refa, is the, the Turkish equivalent of a Christian democracy. You know? mm -hmm. uh, uh, a party which accepts uh, democracy, pluripartism, but which uh, uh, put stress on values and religious symbolic, mm -hmm. but accept diversity mm -hmm. and pluralism. It's okay. Uh, and this is going on like that in, I would say, in most of the uh, Muslim countries. But the second trend is what I call neo-fundamentalism. The guys who say, we don't want to become a democrat Christians, uh, Christian Democrat. We don't want to uh, recognize pluralism. Uh, uh, no, we still think that Islam is the only true religion. And uh, for these reasons, we cannot accept you know, uh, to, uh, uh, to compromise uh, on cultural and political issues. So these guys, they have no choice, yes, than to a life in a sort of imaginary world, a virtual uh, Muslim community. Now, where does uh, Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda fit into this equation? They're clearly not of the, the neo-fundamentalist kind because they seem to be more focused on raw power. Is that correct? No, for me, Ben Laden is a typical representative of the uh, radical branch of neo-fundamentalism, mm -hmm. what they call the jihadi. Uh, people will say, we have to do jihad. Mm. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, Osama Ben Laden has always been very critical for the Islamic movements of national liberations. He, he has been critical for uh, uh, the Palestinians, you know, saying, uh, what use to create a Palestinian state? Mm -hmm. If you create a Palestinian state, it, it will be something like any other state. You mm -hmm. should fight to mobilize the Yuma, the Umma, the Muslim community, uh, uh, for your cause, but not for creating a Palestinian state. He is opposed to the idea of a Palestinian state. Ben Laden is a man who wants to uh, unite, unify all the Muslim population in the world against the world power the United States of America. Mm -hmm. He doesn't care about uh, uh, Palestine, he doesn't care about Cairo, he doesn't care about Ankara, Istanbul, and so on. If one looks at uh, uh, the favorite jihad, uh, uh, holy war of Ben Laden, mm -hmm. it's not Palestine, it's not Egypt, it's not Saudis. Where is he fighting? New York, uh, Bosnia, Kosovo, Chechnya, Central Asia, Afghanistan? Kashmir, Philippines, East Africa, for so the periphery you know, mm -hmm. of uh, uh, the Middle East, and not at all at the core of the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Ben Laden is a man of a global world. Mm -hmm. He's a, a product, a child of our world. He's not somebody, you know, some kind of crazy man from the Middle East coming from the desert you know, to fight uh, the Crusaders. No, no. He, his battlefield is the modern world. Mm -hmm. Now, what, uh, now that we have this broad picture, what has been the impact of the West uh, uh, other than bringing modernization and creating these people who, who really want to protest but are in fact products of what they have protested? What, what has been uh, the impact of the West and is a war between civilizations inevitable? No, for very simple reasons. Civilizations have no more territorial basis. Mm -hmm. uh, the East is westernized, and Islam mm. is in the West. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, most, not all, but you know, take an example. Most of the young uh, 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 terrorists of the Ben Laden organization, where did they become born again Muslims? 
in the west, <laughs> in the west, no, mm -hmm. not in the east. Many of them uh, uh, were born in the east. Some of them uh, uh, were raised and born, uh, born and raised in the west. But all of them uh, became born again Muslims in Marseille, in London, in Paris, or in New Jersey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, uh, radical Islam now is not a spillover of uh, uh, the Middle Eastern conflict into the West. It's a consequence of the mixing of the West and the East. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the Middle Eastern societies are Westernized. They are urban, modern societies. You know, uh, uh, the, the problem is not with the traditional societies. We have no problem with traditional people. We have problem with the people who have been Westernized. Mm. And on the other hand, now Islam is definitively rooted in the West. Mm. Uh, it's now uh, in Europe. Uh, it, it has been acknowledged by the uh, different regimes and government in Europe. In the States, because they are less Muslim than you know, other uh, uh, recent migrants, uh, uh, <coughs> it's still not well uh, understood. But it's clear that uh, we have now a Western Islam. And this Western Islam is not different in theological terms from the Eastern Islam. There is, we don't have two Islams. Mm -hmm. But the Muslims have a different way to uh, experience and to live their faith. You know. in, in traditional Muslim countries, while you can be, I would say, normal Muslims, but all your environment is Muslim. So you can fast because everybody is fasting. You can pray because everybody is praying. But once in the West, you have to reinvent, or at least to reassess mm -hmm. your Muslim identity. What does it mean to fast? What does it mean to pray? What does it mean to avoid usury uh, and so on in, in the West? So we have now a sort of refoundation of Islam due to globalization. So, you know, in a way, you're saying that the possibilities for Islam in the West, uh, that is, the, the opportunities for being integrated into Western societies, make that a better place than the, the countries of origin. So, so that leads me to the question, is part of the problem here the failure of the Islamic world to adopt modern economies also that can provide jobs, that can integrate these graduates uh, into a productive economy and society? Here yeah, we have to make a difference between Arab states, Arab countries, and Muslim countries. We have to compare what is comparable. Um, uh, of course, um, if we compare uh, Morocco and Spain, okay, I uh, can say uh, in Morocco uh, people have uh, sorry, uh, little jobs and things like that. But if you compare Filipino, uh, Philippines and Indonesia, you can see that uh, uh, one is better off in Indonesia than in Philippines. So the factor is not Islam as such. You know? mm -hmm. uh, uh, we have to compare uh, countries which are comparable. But it's true that if we take the Arab countries, there is a problem in the Arab countries. And this problem is not linked with Islam. It links with something uh, which has to do with uh, Arabism, if I can, uh, I can mm -hmm. say that. But one should not forget that the Arab countries are you know, on the fault line between the north and the south. So many conflicts, which are in fact north-south conflict, are embodied, rooted in uh, Arab uh, countries, like the Israel and Palestinian uh, mm -hmm. conflict. Uh, but it's, it's true that there is um, a disappointment uh, among many Muslims about 
their own politics about what is going on uh, uh, in the Middle East. It's true that uh, an Algerian living in France, or somebody with uh, an Algerian ascent, descent, living uh, from Algerian descent, living in France, he still is an Algerian nationalist because of the legacy of the past. But uh, he acknowledged that it's better to live in France now than to live in Algeria. Mm-hmm. So we have these complex and sometimes schizophrenic attitudes. You know, uh, uh, I prefer uh, to live in the West. I voluntarily left uh, uh, Middle East to go to the West, but I don't want just to become a Westerner among us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, uh, so we have a recreation of identities. We, have, we do not have importation of identities. Mm. Uh, the way they express their faith in the West is, I would say, uh, on an individual basis. They speak of faith. They speak of individual salvation. They speak of ethic and moral values. Because faith in the West, and special, not only Islamic faith, by the way, but also uh, any kind of religious faith, is not supported by a social environment at least in Europe. I know that in the States, well, uh, people uh, go more easily to the church, but not in Europe. You know. mm-hmm. uh, uh, Western Europe is secularized, including Ireland, and tomorrow it will be Poland. You know. mm-hmm. uh, attendance to uh, church is uh, going to uh, under 10% in every country. Mm. So if you are, uh, so the, the Muslims are experiencing an evolution, which is also experienced by Catholics, for example, uh, from I would say a sort of evident dominant social religions to a specific community, a religious community, which has to define itself as a minority mm, and to define its values against a secular environment. Mm-hmm. So in this sense, we have, some, for example, sometimes more in common between conservative Catholics and conservative Muslims than between conservative Catholics and uh, 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 de-Christianized Europeans. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does your work suggest for how the West uh, should craft a policy toward the Muslim the Muslim, the Islamic world. Any any thoughts about, or, or are there no implications? I am very cautious about uh, policy recommendations, you know, because uh, first, there's a question of timing. If you propose to any government some kind of policy recommendation, they will buy something for the next two or four years. Mm. <laughs> but here, we are confronted with ge- gen- generational problems. You know? mm-hmm. So you cannot have a policy to integrate uh, Islam in the West in, uh, uh, until the next uh, presidential elections. That's not. So my view is, let's uh, don't focus on Islam. Mm. Focus on individuals. You know, uh, uh, we do not have to compromise on our, on our values. We have to be coherent and cohesive with our values, the law, all the law, and no discrimination. Uh, for example, in Europe, there is a debate about mosques, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not a legal debate because it's it's legal mm-hmm. uh, to uh, so. Uh, the problem is to go through uh, red tape. Uh, to go uh, uh, to convince the local mayor not to put obstacles and so and so. So it's not an issue of changing the legal system to make a room for Islam. The issue is to treat the Muslim as we treat the Catholic and the Christian and any sort of uh, other religions, the Jews and the Protestants. Students watching this uh, uh, video interview, what recommendations would you have about how they should prepare 
for the future, uh, how they should think about the Islamic world, uh, and so on. I would say don't think about Islamic world, think about Muslims about real and concrete people who live in a society, who experience the sort and sort and sort of history, and who could be very different from one place to the other, even if they share the same religion. But it's true also for Catholic. Secondly, I would say don't think in terms of uh, uh, cultural communities, you know. And uh, we mm. should not think, uh, we should not confuse culture and religion. Religions are cross-cultural phenomena. If we reduce Islam to a culture, then we kill Islam as a religion. And this is a message to the Muslims themselves. Don't ask to be recognized as a cultural group, because you will lose uh, the universal dimension of Islam as a religion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, my conclusion is uh, be careful with multiculturalism to the extent that multiculturalism supposes that you have corporate identities. But identities are always experienced, transitional, and the identities should not go against freedom. So for me, the, uh, what is more important is individual freedom and uh, the right to uh, go through different experiences mm, and to shape your own vision of your own identity. Uh, your, your odyssey is a fascinating one. Uh, you're, you're in Paris during the 60s. Anything is possible. You're a Maoist for two years. But then you go to Afghanistan and, and you're, the, the problem becomes essentially, well, what is the validity of this political uh, project, the, these Islamists who, who seek to make a revolution. What, what, uh, what lessons might we draw from, from your journey about the skills that it takes to comprehend uh, these uh, complex social and cultural realities that uh, turn out to be very different from what they appear to be on, on the surface? Uh, as you said, a journey, you know, yeah. a journey either uh, as a travel through different countries and so, or as a journey uh, as a personal uh, a trajectory uh, uh, with many experiences and so. And of course, you cannot borrow just like that, you know, experience from uh, somebody else. Uh, usually, uh, you, you, when you borrow something, it's the worst part, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, the dogmatic part of an experience. So uh, the answer is yes, you have to experience personally diversity, either through uh, uh, by living somewhere, or by traveling, or by reading, or by meeting people, and so on. So that's it's up to each personal trajectory. On that note, I want to thank you very much for, for being here today and, and sharing your intellectual odyssey with us. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for joining us for this conversation with history.